You are listening to the teaching and preaching of Dr. Warren Wearsby. This message was recorded while he served as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, or the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. For additional resources, please visit 2ProfitU.com. That's the number two, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-U.com. And now, Dr. Warren Wearsby. And tonight we think about the woman who knew how to pray. I'm sure you've guessed who it is because the record is in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, and her name was Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And you will remember they were not very godly men. They were wicked men. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, of course, this was a peace offering, which was divided up as a, as a dinner. He gave to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her relentlessly to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. Let me pause to say it wasn't Solomon's temple, obviously. Solomon hadn't been born. The temple wasn't built. Shiloh was the location for the tabernacle, and it was there rather permanently, and they had built some other buildings around it. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a male child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. It came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli observed her mouth. Now Hannah, she spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Do you ever pray like that? It's a great way to pray when you can't pray out loud. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be intoxicated? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. 
I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid as a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I been speaking. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the Lord God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, and here's an interesting phrase, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Well, the rest of the story tells us that uh, she received a baby, Samuel, which means the gift of God, and that brought Samuel to Eli and gave him to Eli. Look at chapter 1, verse 26. O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And in the next chapter we have Hannah praying and singing praise to God. Now, when this baby girl was born, her parents named her Hannah, because Hannah in the Hebrew language means grace. That's why that statement down there is so important. Let me find grace in thy sight. Little did her parents realize how much Hannah was going to have to depend upon the grace of God, because Hannah did not have an easy life. She had a difficult life. But you know, folks, most people have a difficult life. I know very few people who go skipping through life as though it's a party. Little children may do that because they have very few responsibilities and almost no accountabilities. But after you get to a certain age, you discover there are burdens to life, there are battles to life, there are difficulties to life. Some people can't handle them. But Hannah was able to handle the difficulties of life because she depended on the grace of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to go through life with a name like Grace? And every time you look into the mirror, you would say, ah, the grace of God. Not I, but the grace of God. Hannah depended on the grace of God. Now, friends, all I want to do tonight is encourage you, encourage myself, to depend upon the grace of God. The same grace that saved you can take you through the problems and the burdens and the difficulties of life. I want you to notice with me the different kinds of grace that God gave to Hannah. And if you and I will learn these different kinds of grace, we can just pick them up by faith, take them home with us, and be able to get the kind of victory that she had. Now, we're going to be using our New Testaments as well. The first kind of grace that God gave to Hannah was the grace to suffer. There is in the Bible such a thing as suffering grace. Now, if you want to know where it is, and most of you already know, you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul tells us about suffering grace. Verse 7, 
And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. It's the same thing you have done when you've had to go through suffering. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now here's Paul's response. Most gladly, not most sadly, but most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Now, you leave that phrase out, you're in trouble. Nobody on his own can take pleasure in the difficulties of life. But you can do it for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God gave to her the grace to suffer. Now, Hannah suffered in the one place where it's the hardest to suffer, at home. Some years ago in Scotland, there was a great church disruption, and a certain great and godly man was being persecuted from all sides. A friend of his met him on the street one day and said to him, how is it that you are able to be so calm and so poised when all of this trouble is going on? And he looked at his friend and said, the secret is this, I am happy at home. Now, for many people, this is true. There are many people who are just so glad to hear the factory whistle blow or hear the bell ring in the office and say, I can go home. And going home means heaven on earth. Going home means being accepted and being wanted. Robert Frost says that home is the place that when you go there, they have to take you in. That's a good definition. Somebody else has said home is the place where we are treated the best and complain the most. That's also an accurate definition. Hannah did not have a happy home. Now, I don't know why this home was in the mess it was in. The Old Testament permitted polygamy, but did not encourage it. I don't know if Hannah was Elkanah's first wife, and because she bore no children, he married a second wife. I don't know. It may be that he was married, first of all, to the other wife and found her so difficult to live with, he wanted Hannah. I don't know. All I know is that it's very, very difficult for a woman to live with a rival. Now, let me say a word to the men who are listening to me who are married. There ought never to be a rival for your wife. Whether it be another woman, God forbid, or your job, or your boat, or your color TV set at football season, there ought not to be a rival. When a person gets married, he pledges his love. And the thing that causes trouble in homes is rivalry. Sometimes a husband brings into the family such a love for his mother, he can't adequately love his wife. I've seen wives do the same thing. There must be no rivalry in the home. You leave father and mother, you cleave to your wife, 
but Hannah had a rival. Now, this rival was an adversary who provoked her and tried to make her fret, provoked her relentlessly. And dear Hannah would get up in the morning and she would say, Thank you, God, for another day. And I pray that you'll give me the grace today to be able to put up with what I have to put up with and make the best of it. And her rival would no sooner be at the breakfast table than she would say, uh, you must not be a very spiritual woman. God hasn't given you any children. Now, Hannah could have answered and said, well, Sarah had to wait a long time and Rebecca had to wait a long time. Maybe I have to wait a long time. Relentless, mean, provoking. I'm sure there are people here in this congregation tonight who will go to work tomorrow and face an adversary. Somebody's going to be there with a ripsaw to cut you apart. Someone's going to come and shake your hand with sandpaper. Someone is going to be abrasive and abusive. And God has to give you the grace to suffer. You know, it seemed like everything was against Hannah. It seemed like her husband was against her. Why had he taken another wife? It's my conviction that Hannah was the first wife. It seemed like circumstances were against her. It seemed like God was even against her. Why didn't God give her a son? And once a year she would go up to the feast and she had nothing to feast over. And Once a year she'd go to the tabernacle. And it was so hard to praise God. And she would leave the table her rival would be there with her sons and daughters. They'd be laughing and joking and casting little words that cut and hurt. And Hannah just got up from the table and went off by herself. God gave her grace to suffer. You see, she could have left her husband. I've had people say to me, Pastor, I can't stay in that home five more minutes. I'm going to have to leave. But Hannah didn't leave her husband. She could have started a fight with her rival. She didn't do that. She could have blamed God and gotten bitter against God and said, I'll never go to the tabernacle. I have seen these things happen. I have seen people who have been in difficult situations give up and say, God, you don't love me. If you loved me, this wouldn't have happened and that wouldn't have happened. Instead of saying, oh, God, I need your grace. Let God give you the grace to suffer. Suffering is the lot of every believer. And suffering prepares the way for glory. It's not fun, it's not easy, but sometimes it's necessary. The grace to suffer. Now God gave her a second kind of grace. He gave to Hannah the grace to speak. There is speaking grace. I'm looking now at Colossians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul is telling Christians how they ought to speak. Now, I say nothing new when I say this to you because you already know it. More trouble is caused by speaking than by anything else. I've been writing a book on James in our B series, and I had an interesting time with James chapter 4 where James talks about the tongue. And he's writing to Christians. He says, the tongue, James chapter 3, the tongue is such a, such a little member, but... Oh, the trouble it can cause. Then you get to James chapter 4 where he says, What causes wars and fightings among you Christians? That church must have had some interesting business meetings. 
He said, I'll tell you what causes it, selfishness in your heart, and selfishness in your heart, and worldliness in your heart. Get a hold of your tongue. You say the thing you shouldn't say. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace. That's speaking grace. Seasoned with salt. We should never have to say to a person, now you take this with a grain of salt. You put the salt in it. You make sure it's pure and clean. With the sacrifices, they added salt. Salt is a symbol of purity and refinement. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. And God gave to Hannah that kind of grace, speaking grace. She knew how to speak to her husband. She didn't want to make her husband feel badly about the whole thing. Kind of naively, he says, why, I'm better to you than ten sons. Well, in one sense, yes, but oh, every Jewish woman wanted to fulfill in motherhood. This was a part of their calling, and it was really a reproach for a woman not to bear a child. But she knew how to speak to her husband. She knew how to be kind to her rival. I don't read here that she ever fought back or argued back. When her rival would say, well, how are your children today? She would just smile and say, dear Lord, give me the grace to be silent. Give me the grace to speak that kind word. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And she didn't try to keep the home fires burning by throwing all sorts of mean things on the fire. She had the grace to speak. Now, if I'm, if I'm sharing with someone now who has a, a problem, a rival, some abrasive, difficult situation, ask God to give you the grace to speak or the grace to be quiet. Now, sometimes silence is golden. I confess to you that sometimes silence is yellow. Sometimes it's cowardly. But sometimes silence is golden. As a, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. There are times when the best thing to say is nothing. God gave her speaking grace. The, the time he really gave her speaking grace is when she went to the prayer meeting and the priest accused her of being drunk. Can you imagine? Here is pure, dedicated, sweet Hannah. Grace. Here she is with a broken heart. And she comes to the temple of God, to the tabernacle, and she's praying in her heart. Her lips are moving, but she's praying in her heart. A prayer that, that was difficult to utter. Oh, God, give me a son. And here sits Eli. Now, we'll not read all the scriptures, but you know from your own Bible study that Eli was a failure. God finally took the priesthood away from him. He was a big, fat man. Now, I'm not criticizing people who are heavy. I need to lose 15 pounds myself. But the indication seems to be that Eli was in the condition he was in because of his own indulgence. And he had two sons who were no good, and he wouldn't rebuke them. They were committing sins with the women at the tabernacle. They were stealing the sacrifices. And there sits Eli, and here's a godly woman praying... Have you ever noticed how many women in the Bible were misunderstood? Mary was misunderstood. Mary came to listen to Jesus talk, and her sister said, oh, why don't you help me with the dishes? Help me get dinner ready. 
when Mary came and brought that ointment to the Lord Jesus, the disciples misunderstood her and criticized her. Why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Every time you find Mary, she's misunderstood. She came to the tomb to weep. And her neighbors didn't understand what she was doing. Dear friends, a lot of people are misunderstood. By the way, we have to be very careful not to judge by appearances. A great deal of trouble is caused in church families by judging by appearances and not by the heart. If I had been Hannah, I'm afraid I would have said something like this to Eli. Why, you fat priest. You just listen to me, fat soul. Before you sit there and criticize somebody innocent, you go take care of your own kids. Because right now, while you're sitting there acting so pious, your sons are committing immorality, and they're stealing. But she didn't say a word. Nothing like that. She just simply said, Oh, no, my Lord. Even if you can't respect the man, you have to respect the office. Oh, no, my Lord. I'm not a drunken woman. I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. And I've got a burden on my heart. And then Eli felt like a fool and rightly say, He said, May God grant you your petition. And she knew the answer. She said, Let thy handmaid find grace. God gave her the grace to speak. I suppose each one of us wishes he could go back and tear up a letter that had been written and mailed. Each one of us wishes we could go back and erase words that we've said. Tomorrow when we start our new day, let's ask God for the grace to speak. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. God gave her a third kind of grace. God gave her the grace to sacrifice. Did you know it takes grace to sacrifice? Now, what sacrifice are we talking about? God gave her a son, and she gave that son his whole life to the Lord. Now, the word Lent here doesn't mean she was loaning him for a year or two. She was giving him for a lifetime. By the way, she didn't have to do that. When you trace the family tree of her husband, Elkanah, you discover he was a Levite. The Levites would serve God from 20 through 50. And she could have said, now here's my son, and I'm going to give him to you for the period of time that a Levite serves. She didn't. She, even before he was born, she prayed about this boy, and she said, I'm going to give him to the Lord for his whole life. This is sacrificing grace. Now, if you want the documentation on sacrificing grace, you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their ability I bear witness, yea, and beyond their ability... They were willing of themselves, begging us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. Verse 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. This is grace. Here was a poor church going through difficulty. They said, Paul, we want to share in that missionary offering. Here's our share. 
Paul said, how can you afford to do this? Oh, God's grace did it. It takes grace to sacrifice. And this woman had sacrificing grace. Let me share a little secret with you. I've heard people say, well, she, she had a bargain with God. She was one of these people who said, now, Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do that. No, it was something deeper than that. There's a law back in the Old Testament that says this. If a, if a woman makes a vow and her husband doesn't agree with that vow, he can cancel it. If he agrees with that vow, it stands. Elkanah knew what she was doing. She said to him, look, I, I'm, I've made a vow to the Lord. I'm not making a bargain with God. No, I'm, I'm just vowing to the Lord that if he does give me a son, I'm going to give him to God. And her husband said, I, I approve wholeheartedly of that vow. But you see, first she had to yield herself to the Lord. I notice in verse 11, she calls herself a handmaid. Do you notice that? And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, by the way, Back in verse 3 and here in verse 11, you have the first occurrence of Lord of hosts in the Bible. This is the first place it is. The Lord of the armies, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid. Now, what's a handmaid? The lowest kind of a servant. Mary prayed the same way later on. There in Luke chapter 1. She called herself the handmaid of the Lord. If thou wilt look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a male child, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And he'd be a Nazarite. He would not shave his head and he would not partake of strong drink and he would not touch a dead body. Down in uh, verse 18, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So first she yielded herself to God. And then God went to work in her life and God performed that miracle and God gave her a son. And then she brought that son. Now, do you think it was easy to do that? Of course it wasn't. Of course it wasn't. I was, uh, I was too young to uh, be a part of World War II. But I remember when my brothers went, I remember what it did to my mother. And I can never forget the day that their clothing came back after they'd gotten GI issue out in the Marine base in California. I can still see that par parcel, and I can still see my mother going down the basement with it, and I knew what she was doing down there. She was weeping, and she was praying. Fortunately, both of the boys did come back unscathed. It's not easy for a mother to come even and say to the Lord, Lord, here's my son the only one she had. Later on, God gave her five more children, but she didn't know that was going to happen. God gave her the grace to sacrifice. It's a beautiful story here how that she brought him to Eli and Eli took him. Then every year she'd come to visit him and bring him a fresh ephod to wear, a fresh garment to wear. As he grew older, she recognized he was growing up God bless that mother that recognizes that her children are growing up and gives them the kind of garment spiritually, materially, intellectually, emotionally that enables them to grow. God gave her the grace to sacrifice. Do I speak to someone right now who's going to have to make a sacrifice? Maybe every day you make a sacrifice. It may be that someone somewhere is depending on you and you have sacrificed because of that. I say this to you, depend upon the grace of God.
God gives you the grace to sacrifice. Finally, God gave her the grace to sing. After she brought him to the, to the tabernacle and presented him to the Lord, in chapter 2 you find Hannah rejoicing in the Lord. Chapter 2 of 1 Samuel is parallel to Mary's beautiful song of praise in Luke chapter 1, singing grace. Now it takes grace to sing. I can recall back when I was in Youth for Christ. We always thought everybody had to sing at the top of his voice, and if somebody didn't sing, he was backslidden. Now I know better. I used to go to singspiration meetings and rally meetings and, and be concerned because somebody wasn't singing. Now I know better. There are times when you come to the house of God and there's not much of a song. You've had a rough time. The devil has been kicking you and the world's been pressuring you and the old flesh has been fighting you and the business hasn't gone so well and there are problems. And I know how I have felt sometimes in meetings when some well-meaning, zealous, but not too uh, bright person has gotten up and said, now everybody sing tonight, let's be happy. Sometimes you don't feel like being happy. I don't mean by this you're a grouch or an evangelical grump or anything like that. I simply mean there are times when it's rough to sing. And God has to give us singing grace. Now you'll find singing grace spelled out for you in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's where God's grace comes from. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It takes grace to sing. It really does. Think of the Lord Jesus as he was going to Calvary. He has the Lord... The, the last Passover and then the Lord's Supper in the upper room with his disciples. And it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out. They sang several of the psalms. Can you imagine facing Calvary and singing? That takes grace. Can you imagine Paul and Silas in that prison, humiliated, their civil rights taken away, beaten, and at midnight, they're singing. Most of us wouldn't have been singing. We would have been sitting there in the stocks and in our minds writing our resignations. But they didn't. They sang, and God blessed. I tell you, my friend, it takes grace to sing. And there are days when you feel like everything's caved in on you, when nothing is going right. And that's the time to say, Dear Lord, you're the great musician. You're the one who has written the music of the spheres. Now give me the grace to sing. God did it for Hannah. Can you imagine turning your back on your only son and going home, not knowing what's going to happen, and singing? I'm not going to, to take these verses in chapter 2 in detail, but he, she exalts the grace of God. It's a beautiful song, just like Mary. She says, God has taken the feeble and made them strong. God has taken the empty and made them full. God has taken the poor and made them rich. God has taken those who are down and lifted them up. That's grace. And her whole song is a song about the grace of God. And the interesting thing is she ends up talking about the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Now her son did that. 
Samuel prayed one prayer and defeated the enemy. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he, the Lord, shall give strength unto his king. But they didn't have any king at that time. They had judges. What king is she talking about? Saul? No. David? Prophetically. Jesus! The Lord shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed, his Christ. That's where grace comes from, doesn't it? The last verse of her song, she sings about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Hannah moves off the scene. You don't find anything more about her. But she leaves her son behind, and that boy grows up and speaks the word of God and does the work of God and anoints the king and brings David on the scene and then dies. Oh, but he did his work. I'm sure when Hannah passed off the scene as her husband and perhaps her five children were gathered around her, she smiled and said, oh, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. Children, I want you to know something. Your mother could never have made it apart from the grace of God. God gave me grace to suffer, and that suffering led to glory. And God gave me the grace to speak, and I'm glad I can look back and not be ashamed of things that I said or didn't say. God gave me the grace to sacrifice. You know your brother has been serving the Lord. And God has given me the grace to sing, and I want to go out of this life singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The grace of God. Now, you and I have to live by the grace of God. No other way to live. It's the way Paul lived. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by the grace of God, I've done what I've done. God is the God of all grace. Peter says we have the manifold grace of God. That means the very colored grace of God. There's grace for blue Mondays, and there's grace for black Sundays, and there's grace for days when you see red. There's grace, the variegated grace of God. No matter what the horizon may look like, there's grace. Where do you get it? The throne of grace. How do you know it's there? The word of grace. Who gives it to you? The God of all grace. Through the spirit of grace. It's wonderful to live by the grace of God. Watchman Nee said a beautiful thing in one of his books. He said this, Law means that I must do something for God. Grace means that God is doing something for me. Lots of people are living by law. Hannah means grace, and she lived by the grace of God. So can you, and so can I. One little word to those of you who may not even be saved tonight. Where does all this start? With saving grace. You'll know nothing about the grace to suffer without saving grace, or the grace to sacrifice, or the grace to speak, or the grace to sing. It's got to start with saving grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. If you've never been saved by the grace of God, you've never been saved. There's no other way to get saved. And that's why Jesus died. Someone has made, as you know, an acronym out of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Where does grace come from? The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
My friend, if you're going to be saved, it's going to be by grace. Not works, grace. If you're going to be saved by grace, it's got to come from Calvary. It's got to come from Jesus. Would you trust him tonight? Thank you, Father, for the example of this godly woman. She puts us to shame. We confess, O oh Lord, how many times we have provoked others and provoked you because of our impatience. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, when we thought you had to change the circumstances when really you wanted to change us. Grant us the grace that we need and grant that someone tonight will come and receive Christ, experience the grace of God. Help us this coming week, Lord, to live by your grace. For Jesus' sake, amen. All of Dr. Warren Wearsby's material is owned and managed by Script Text. The material contained in this podcast is copyrighted and is for personal use only, not to be duplicated or sold without prior written consent from Script Text.